Kiora, and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining us today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast and a special welcome to all our new listeners. As world events continue to swirl around us, it's always nice to take a break and listen to something that interests, intrigues, fascinates you or even scares you a wee bit maybe. Today's episode is one I've wanted to do ever since I decided that I was going to create a podcast that covered the Shadowlands regions. I've long thought that those in this profession would have some interesting stories that they could tell us about the people they work with and see on a day-to-day basis, but was never able to find such a guest who'd be willing to talk about their experiences until I met Karina. I first met Karina when she joined my Facebook group Walking the Shadowlands, from which this podcast evolved. She joined the group to share some experiences that she and her husband Dean were having in their home. It was when I got to talking with her that she told me what field of work her husband was in immediately. I was so excited and I asked Karina if she thought that Dean would be interested and willing to talk with me and share with us all his experiences in his profession. So I waited with bated breath for Karina to get back to me with a yarnie. Obviously it was the former and I'm very happy about that. Today's guests are two people that work in the realms of new life and of death. No exaggeration there. Dean being an undertaker and Karina being a midwife. Both ends of the life spectrums, wouldn't you say? But the question, as always, is are you willing to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands? This time, the part between life and death. And see what awaits us there. Then let's begin. Dean was originally from Iowa in the USA but has had citizenship in New Zealand now for over a decade. He went to university in the USA but during his time there changed his field of study and his degree to that of mortuary science. Very few morticians in New Zealand having a degree in this area. He and his business partners have just recently opened a funeral home in Walkworth, a beautiful area north of Auckland here in New Zealand. Karina was born and raised in New Zealand. Between them, they are the parents of two beautiful children. And Karina continues to work as a midwife as well as co-parenting their family. I'd like to welcome my guests, Dean and Karina Weber.
I guess as far as professionally, I've been doing uh, funeral directing, embalming, and you know, looking after families and deceased for 25 years, both in in the United States and in New Zealand. Uh, so I've seen quite a, uh, a cultural cross section of uh, of humanity and uh, religion and spirituality. Aside from my professional work, I'm just an ordinary, average person. I I have a family and enjoy doing the same things as everybody else. And I always sort of explain myself to my client families that I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a real person just like you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no different. I, I'm not a wealthy individual that sits in a tower and looks down on people and makes judgments. I'm, I'm, I'm a real person. I've got a pile of questions written here that I was thinking about asking you. I remember Karina saying that she witnessed some of the things that you saw or that you experienced. Yeah, that some of the stuff in this particular house, um, yeah, she's been experienced too as well. And then when we finally brought them up and said something to each other, it was like, you too, eh? And, um, and seeing them or, or feeling them. But um, she's, she's very excited to talk to you. She doesn't want to miss anything. She no, no. When I, when I first started this podcast, my intention from the get-go was to find somebody who worked in the funeral business who would be willing to talk about their experiences. So when um, Karina told me what you did, I was so excited. I immediately jumped and said, do you think, you, do you think you'd talk? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to, to tell everybody anything that I can about what I do and, and sort of remove the, the black blanket of funeral work and, and everything about it. Um, I've, I've done radio interviews. I've, the only one I haven't done is TV, so this is cool. I've, I've always been open, you know, to um, public speaking at, at groups and clubs and, and different events and things, sort of trying to just Demystify. You know, demyst- demystify what people think they know is what's happening and what really sort of happens. So awesome. So, well, perhaps before Karina comes, I'll I'll ask you some of the questions that I have that mm-hmm. are like that end of the thing before we get into the the supernatural side. Mm-hmm. So, the the questions I have are these: What led you into this line of work to begin with? I came from the states, so going to university for where I grew up was just it was a natural it was a natural progression for me. It was going to happen. I enjoyed um, the diversity of, of university, and I enjoyed the the physical and the life sciences. So, I was headed right down the path to be a doctor, and I didn't think I could get myself to stitch people and in what I felt was like inflicting pain at, at any stage or stick stick people. So I started guiding down the line of, of pathology and um, got to the point where I was um, starting to have to really consider my future as it was a big commitment the next 
part of the education. And I got to look further into it, um, the program of being a pathologist and the commitment. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. It was a lot of science, a lot of math, a lot of, you know, real technical things. I'm an absolute people person. I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk, I talk. And I had a, um, a two week gap at university and I went home and I really didn't know what I was going to do. And my mom sort of suggested talking to a friend of mine's dad, who was the uh, funeral director in my hometown. Um, I'd been doing, you know, anatomy courses and cadaver classes and, and everything in the lead up. And I gave them a call and they let me hang out for two weeks at a funeral home Mm -hmm. and saw my first embalming. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this is me. Sat in on a couple of arrangements and realized that there's no big methodology book that you have to learn. It's just be you, just be Mm -hmm. you and be open and listen. And, and it just happens. So I was like, I think I can do this. I can do this. These guys get they get paid all right. Um, so I went back to I went back to university, changed my degree, and um, I yeah finished my degree. I have a bachelor's degree in mortuary science. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so for for New Zealand, um, I'm I'm a rare one. Uh, so yeah, uh, so that's how I got I got into it. Was just sort of a a fluke it sort of found me um and then yeah just started finished up university finished my degree passed all the exams and went and found a job and started yeah working at a really busy funeral home and And this was in the states of course yeah yeah in iowa i lived in the states and in north carolina a little town called waxall out of Charlotte. I'm not sure which direction it was, but it was out of Charlotte. And uh, I attended a couple of funerals while I lived in the States. And it's so vastly different to New Zealand's way of doing things. It's like, I kind of felt like it was like a factory almost, you know, like they Mm -hmm. they had different rooms for different funerals. And it, it wasn't more intimate like it is here in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, you were, you, you were just outside of a major city. So that's, um, yeah, that's a lot of people to look after. And yeah, the, you know, I came from Iowa, which is right smack in the middle and um, not a lot of cities, but we have a lot of small towns. And yeah, we had nine facilities to look after and we had um, three female directors doing 450 calls so we were you were moving constantly constantly it would have been really busy so Mm -hmm. my next question i had was did you have to train well you already answered that and you answered the third question so the next question that i have is how do you cope with dealing with the grief and the pain of the Mm -hmm. families that of the family members, how do you deal with that on a personal level? I've I've found like I've never really had a problem with it. A lot of people make that same question and that that same comment. I sort of see it as 
that's that's your grief mm-hmm. and that's your hurt and I see myself as a crutch to help you get to a better place leaving me than when you came. Right. I put in 110% of my time, myself, my soul, my, my creativity, my everything for everyone mm. just to help you get to a, just take a, the next step just being better prepared for it. I don't really, you know, when I have a loss in my own life, it hurts. It hurts just like anybody else. Mm. But over time, I've managed to realize that my position in this whole process for other people is a professional aspect, not a personal aspect. I do hold your hand. I do give you a hug. I'm there for you the whole way, but I, I did let go of your hand at the end and hopefully see you, yeah, move along as a better better position. Right. I totally understand that because I was a nurse for close to uh, mm. many years, many decades, and I do have to say, though, that there were times when patients really hit home and I cried with them. And I'm not ashamed to say that I cried with them. And I'm sure that for you, there must have been occasions where some cases, particularly perhaps with children, that really had a chord with you. Many, many. I, I cry easy. My, my, yeah, I, I cry easy. I cry often with people. I, I really, I really feel for some people. And yeah. you can really see that there's a, a love that is lost from some people. Yeah. How I move from that, though, I guess, is that I feel proud in the fact that I see them at some stage smile at the end. Yeah. And I, I feel that something I did was right. It was a hard week, right. um, you know, being in and around it. Yeah. Like you said, children, babies, especially suicides, yeah. they... The, they all just, I just, I, I, I still just get shook with all of, all of those, mm. no matter how old or, or what event or how it leads up. It's still, they just, maybe it's because they almost have the feeling and we'll probably get into that later, the, the feeling that they're not supposed to be here. Right. And, you know, they're not supposed to be with me. And they are, and it, it really, um, when you're working with like, uh, um, you know, I came from a place that was a small group of us. There were six of us working together. And when, when something like that would come in, like a, a call that would sort of, sort of rock the boat a bit, it, it rocked all of us because they're looking after the person that's on the front line that is their colleague. And, and, you know, so you, you do have, I do have an amazing support team of, of friends and colleagues and family that look after my own sort of emotional and, and physical health. I was wondering how I was kind of tending to think that you had to have some sort of support system for when things got on top of you. And they do inevitably, no matter how professional you are, is. Mm. That one occasion where it creeps in and you need to talk it out with somebody. Karina's here. Perfect timing. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, the um, my my funeral home is I've 
I've just opened one. And today's day four. Yeah, Karina was saying, how exciting yeah. is that? Where yeah. else are you based? Are you in Auckland? or We're north of Auckland in Walkworth. Walkworth. Oh, I had a sister that lived up there for years. Oh, really? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so when did you when did you come to New Zealand? Actually, what made you come to New Zealand? Yeah, so I, I was explaining to you where I'd come from that we were at quite a, a multi-facility place, really busy, not a lot of people. Right. Very stereotypical of a funeral home, understaffed, overworked, burned out. Right. Um, it's natural progression. I remember after I was there for about eight years. It was winter, so that's um, that's nine sets of sidewalks to scoop in nine different towns multiple times a day, plus trying to work, meet people, and and do work. I just had enough. I had enough. I had enough one day. I flagged it in. I said, I'm out of here. Went and had a few beers, and the next thing you know, I'm standing on a bar stool, telling everybody that I'm moving to Fiji and woke up the next morning, put a suit on and my flatmates are going, so you're moving to Fiji. I'm like, I'm what? (laughs) And um, so I was like, crap, if that's what I said, well, I suppose I got to do it. And um, so (laughs) I started figuring it out and, um, about 12 pages deep in a Google search, I found New Zealand Funeral Directors Association. And I was like, where is that? I've never heard of that. And so I Googled it and I was like, New Zealand, looked on the map, Google Maps, it's right next to Fiji on the map. <laughs> Coming from the middle of the United States, you know, I've only seen the ocean three times in my life. Yes. I didn't know how far the ocean actually was. <laughs> and um, I sent an email and a lady answered and I was like, um, okay. And started talking to this lady and uh, she tried to help me get a job, ran in adverts and magazines and she talked to people for me. Nobody wanted to take a chance. Oh, wow. She said, I think you just need to come down here. And so I said, okay, when? And she goes, well, in February, we're having our first um, international meeting with um, the Australian Funeral Directors Association. First one ever. You should come to that. I said, okay, book me in. Here's my credit card. And um, I, I flew down here and I arrived in Masterton. Oh, and I thought it was the most amazing place I'd ever seen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And... Um, so I had like no job offers. Nobody wanted like any interest in me. And from the time that I got off the bus at the hotel in Masterton to checking in, I had like seven to 10 business cards with offers and people wanting to talk to me wow. um, that week. And so during that week, I met with yeah several people. Uh, the fellow that I ended up taking a, a job with was the smallest, hence the reason I ended up in Walkworth. And so I I took the job in Walkworth and moved here. It was crazy. Yeah, hopped on a plane and moved here. I had no idea. I I was amazed when I got here. I was like, you guys have real roads. 
in real cars. I was expecting, I, I, I was totally expecting Leonardo DiCaprio, the beach. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I got that a lot when I lived in the States. Oh, do you guys still have thatched huts? Yeah. 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 Toilets. The funeral side of New Zealand culture, like you saw from, from North Carolina, completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I found that the people, um, the families, were like so amazed that I was so new that they were so happy to help me and oh. and show me sort of, you know, I, I hung around people's, I, I still do, when I take people home, I hang around their houses for an hour or so sometimes and just sort of watch what happens and watch how other people want to do things and how, yeah, different things work. And it's, it's still, still is, is amazing every, every time. It's cool. That's so cool. As a funeral director, have you ever had any experiences that you couldn't explain? In terms of, like you mentioned previously, when, you, when you're dealing with people who have committed suicide, you sometimes <clears throat> feel like they shouldn't be there. Yeah, um, and they, they vary. I, um, yeah, I, I have had a, um, a reoccurring dream since I've been really young. And it's, really, it, it's the same thing over and over again in the same place, and it goes the same way. And the same people are there and only one person can talk to me. And then just a couple of years ago, that one person that can talk to me, the only person that can talk to me in that reoccurring dream, um, he, he died. And he's same, same age as me. And it was just sort of like, wonder what that had to do with anything. Never really figured that out. Um, I had, this is the only two dreams I've ever had about work. The other dream I was, I was working and the lady um, had the same last name as me. And um, I could, I was a member, I was in the office and I was like, oh, her family's here. They're coming to see her. So I'll just go in the room and I'll make sure the lights are on and everything's ready. And she looks really good. And the flowers are all facing the right way and everything. And I went in there, turned on the lights and she's not there. And I'm like, Mary, where are you? And I'm looking all over the funeral home for her. And she was in the staff room, just sitting there, like chilling out. And I'm like, you have to get back in there. Your family, they're out in the parking lot. They're coming. And she's like, I don't want to. I don't want to. I was like, but you have to. You have to. And so I talked her into it. And I got her all laid back down. And she crawled in and, and fluffed and buffed and put her hair on. You know, I'm all back. And... And um, I kept going in, making sure she'd stay there. And she kept sort of like looking at me, like looking at me. And then I was like, that's, that's the only time I've ever dreamed about work. And yeah, I went back in the next morning. The first thing I did was look and see if she was still there. And, but she was there. <laughs> I lived in two different funeral homes at two different times in my working career. And the first one that I lived at had a lot of movement um, stuff um, around. Uh, yeah, the, all, the, all the work happened downstairs and I lived upstairs, really old building. And, oh yeah, you 
put things away and you go back downstairs two hours and they'd be out of the counter. They'd be moved. They'd be moved from one spot to the next. They'd be moved from one room to the other. And you just got, to, you just came to accept it and just sort of rolled with it and was like, well, weird, but never saw anything happen. It always happened when you'd come back. Right. The other one, I never saw anything. It was all just a matter of feeling. And my bedroom was right at the top of the big staircase that went rolling down to the work area of the funeral home. And I'm an open door sleeper. And I right. just, I just couldn't sleep with the door open there. I was like, this is something's on. So I closed the door and then I'm like, this isn't working for me. So I just had a big meeting with everybody that was there. And I don't even know who was there, but just said, hey, it stops here. Whatever is happening, you guys can have the downstairs. That's cool. But the upstairs, I live here. You guys got to get out. You're gone. You know, I got to sleep here. So it's over. Stops and yeah, another thing after 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 that, but so you set boundaries with spirit. That was the I didn't know what to do, so that's just what I don't know. I felt like, well, if I just front up to it, either it's gonna come after me or it's gonna go away, one of the two. And so I just, yeah, got out of bed, turned the light on, and I said, I've had enough, this is done, it's over. I, I know you're there, and it's just, I know you're watching me. You're not doing anything. You're just watching me. It's just, it was just like trying to sleep while being watched. And so, and then never had a problem. It was that one that you felt, that, that one bedroom, that one. Oh, that big, yeah, that really big. That, that you couldn't almost go in. It was like, and no one ever stayed there. No, no, yeah. Stayed. I had one room that I never put anything in. All I ever. I just walked by it. I just didn't like the room. It, it was just, I don't know. It's just, it wasn't any temperature difference. There was no noises, no nothing. It was just an eerie feeling about that room. And I just left that room. I never put anything. I never stored anything in that room. I never walked in there. I never let anybody sleep in there. I was like, the room just didn't exist. I don't know what. So how do, how do you mean it felt eerie? Did it feel like uncomfortable, just made, unsafe? No, it just made me feel nervous. And I've learned okay. that if, yeah, I've learned over the years now that if I've got a gut feeling, I, I go with it. Yeah, it was just one of those things like, should we go there? And it, it just right. sort of popped into my mind or where you, you know, your tummy just sort of feels nervousy, And it's like, nah. I got, I got nothing in there. I got no reason to go there. I don't want to go there. I'm not going. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. And you did the right thing, setting boundaries with spirit, you know, because most spirit, it's like people in life. You set boundaries with people, and most people will respect those boundaries mm. that you set. And spirit's no different. They were just people without yeah. bodies. Yeah. <laughs> when you're working on a, the body of a person who's passed, have you had occasions where you felt their presence or you felt somebody in the room with you? I behave and talk to them like they are. 
Yeah, just in case they are. Um, I've always, yeah, I've always wondered if, if people hang, hang with me for the ride just because this is a whole new thing for them and where's this, where's what's happening. So I always talk to them and yeah, sort of treat them as if they are here and, and sort of, I guess, try to calm a situation if they're, if anybody is feeling a situation, even though there's no situation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I used to do the same thing as a nurse when somebody would die. I would talk to them. I would explain to them what I was doing. And um, I actually... Yeah. 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 I call them. Yeah. Okay, like, hey, darling, we're just going to roll over now and do this. Really. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's I, do what say, I do the same thing. Yeah. You do. Well, because, um, you know, often speaking as a sensitive spirit, will hang around their bodies during the funeral. Often they'll, they'll be there at the funeral, they'll be there at the funeral service, um, and then they move off. Not always, but quite often mm-hmm. that's the case. Do you feel like because you're around dead people all the time and not everybody that you deal with has been nice people mm-hmm. in life, sometimes they have had associations with people that, or, or they were drug addicts or they were alcoholics and very often these type of people have attachments. Um, spirit attachments that influence the behavior mm-hmm. for okay. whatever reason. Have you ever felt like you've brought something home with you from work? Ooh. Um, as you say, there certainly have been um, my fair share of unsavory characters that I've encountered. Um, but I would confidently say no. I, I, at least I don't believe so. I've always been able to feel every day when I leave work, I've left work. I, I, I can just right. throw a switch and I'm, I'm, you know, two minutes down the road, I'm, I'm into home, home mode now. I can, but I've never really felt that, but I guess I've never tried to really think about if, it, and if I was on a bad run of luck or something, I tend to probably look at myself more than than the, the people that thing. yeah that, that I'm looking after. It maybe it's yeah. What about you, Karina? Have you ever noticed anything? I guess not really relating to Dean. Um, what I talked about on the Facebook page of some of the things that mm. we've witnessed in the home, but not really putting two and two together that it could be yeah. some, you know what you know, Dean's bringing home. Yeah, we, we have had several sort of experiences at each house that we've sort of lived at. So we've sort of, I guess, put it more so down to a house because they're faceless and unidentifiable rather than the possibility of hitching a ride with me. That's interesting. I guess I never really considered well, Why would you? It's not on your radar, is it? No, it's it's. I guess it's no, it's not. I'm totally focused on something yeah. else when, I, when I'm there. So yeah. Are you able to share what you've experienced? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get a lot of activity in the hallway, in the entryway, and it's more like, I guess, a shadow. 
you yeah. can say, and it catches your eye and it moves quickly. Our youngest daughter, she has seen quite a few things. She's There was a period there where she was scared of an old man in black boots and she must have been about, do you think, two or three? Yeah, three. Maybe three, yeah. Um, she said, old man black boots, old man black boots. Um, she's seen... She was sitting in the room one day and I walked in and she was looking really worried. And I said, what's wrong? And she, she kind of pointed to the door. And I said, what's wrong with the door? And she said, there's a boy there. And I said, oh, okay, well, what does the boy want? She said, he wants to talk to me. And I said, do you want to talk? And she said, no. I said, well, just tell him that you don't want to talk. And I left it at that. And then the recent one that she has seen, we were in the kitchen here and she kind of looked out and then she looked at me and she goes, Mum, who was running down the hallway? And I guess because we have felt inactivity and seen things, I didn't just think oh, I was a little girl's imagination. Right. I've sort of, yeah. You've had people on the bed. Oh, the yeah. End of the bed. Um, yeah. We used to have an, an aquarium right behind us and I remember I got to the, to the doorway right over there and I just froze and I was like, there's there's a little kid standing there with a baseball cap on just looking at the aquarium and I'm like, what? And then you sort of blink and, it, and they're gone. Wow. And it's just, uh, it's like, Whoa. Wow. And the person on the bed, it wasn't just something I saw. What woke me up was that feeling of someone sitting right. on the bed, that heavy feeling, you know what I mean? And the blankets being slightly pulled, you know, as when someone sits down. Yeah. And, and it never occurred to you, Dean, that this could be from your work. No, because I was at home. When I'm at home, I, I don't even think about work. I, no, not Just not because you don't think about work doesn't mean you didn't bring it home with you. Why switching off? You know, the, the most weirdest things about my job that can be very off-putting visually, sensory, emotionally. I've never brought them home. I've never, never had a problem. And so I just never really put two and two together that they were tagging along with me. You know, we've, uh, yeah, no, I guess no one has, I mean, we've, we've been to see other medium people and we've been around them and do tend to look at me, but no one's ever said anything to me. They do sort of double, always sort of notice that they double take, but no one's ever said anything, so I've never said anything. Well, I, I tend to feel that a lot of the activity in your home is from, because you're a healer, you're healing, and you work at healing in a different way. There's many different ways of healing. Mm. And so those in spirit who are hurting will be drawn to you. It's interesting. Thanks. Yeah, I guess when you said, yeah, I just said to Karina, I said, I'm a healer. I said, I, I like the way that sounds. I said, never, I never really considered myself like that. Well, you but, are because you give people the chance to, to start to grieve for their loved ones. Do you help give them dignity and death? And that is so, so important. Um, this is saying that I really like, and it's about grief, and it's grief is just love without a home. That's, that's very nice. That's, yeah, it's new. Because, you know, when somebody's lost their loved one, where do they put that love? How do they show that love? 
because the love doesn't die just because the person's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. what you do is you provide, you give them support. You, I mean, you provide a very practical service, of course. But apart from that, you provide emotional support. You you help give them strength. You provide practical advice. You know, and these things are very important to healing. There's many different ways to mm. heal people. Mm. I think maybe some of the the um extreme practicality of the way that I, I look at things sometimes is because I started working at, you know, at, at, in this business right. when I was 21 years old and I, I looked like I was 12 and most people just wanted to hand me their coats and, and hang them up for them. And, you, and, you know, I was just, I knew what the book said to do and to do it. And, and then once you get, very comfortable with that and being able to do the book stuff on your subconscious, then your right. real person starts to come out. And that's when it sort of becomes really easy to yeah, help people. But I, I, I guess I never really personally saw it that, that way. Well, um, why would you? Because yeah. it's your profession, you know, you, you see mm-hmm. it from a professional level, but from somebody outside looking in, there's many different layers to what you do. Do you have any uh, experiences that stand out for you as an undertaker that uh, that were particularly rewarding for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, the list is, is long. And they're generally around times where I had to drop my right. personal walls and go into somebody else's space. The one immediately, I knew where you were going with that. And the one immediately that comes to mind long time ago, I had a, um, a mom and a little boy that got um, hurt in a car accident and the um, estranged father and husband was looking after it. And he wasn't the savoriest of characters, but he had a good heart and he had good intent. And I, I remember he, I think I was, I think I was about 22, 23 and he only had to be about 26 or something. Yeah. I remember he, he had just had enough, just had enough. And he just slid down the floor or slid down the wall, sat on the floor and he was just crying. And I was like, oh, can't just stand there and look at somebody. So yeah, sat there on the floor with him and I'm like, Man, I, I, I get it. I don't have kids. I'm not married, but I get it. I, f- I feel for you. I really do. And, you know, I, I remember him, him looking at me, like realizing that it's like, I think I actually have somebody on my side in this world at the moment. And then the, I like, for, for that particular place where I was working, I was the youngest person by 30 wow. years. And I remember those older folks, you know, later after, after that situation had sort of ended and, and they left the building about them tell, telling me that was, that was amazing what, what you, you know, you just did. And, you know, to me, it was just like, well, mm-hmm. isn't that what I should do? It was just like, to me, it was just the natural thing to do. Yeah, the many, many times I felt proud of either um, the way things came off and the feeling that the 
the, my clients must have about the send off that they had right. for you know their mom, their dad. Yeah, that must they must feel good about that. And you know, it, it really worked. And then I've I've got this creativity thing that I've I've got all these ideas in my head, but they take um, very unique people to um, fit the mold for some of these things. And I had the opportunity um, just about two years ago to try to pull one of them off and do something really different with a funeral for a young person. And it went just amazing. And I had uh, just hundreds of, of feedback about how I've never been to anything like that before. And that was just so fitting for a young person and so, so different. And, you know, you, you put a lot of time and effort into doing some things and it pays off. Yeah. Yeah. The other one, um, I sat in, in our couch for days, um, in the evening, cutting out paper hearts for some people by hand with the scissors. I must have cut a thousand of them and my finger and my thumb were numb <laughs> for like six months from cutting them. But the, what the idea was and how it came off and what the family got to have afterwards. Yeah. It was just, that was, that was really cool. So you invest everything that you do with, for your clients, families, you invest your energy and your love and your healing and and it feels to me like you go above and beyond what a traditional undertaker actually would do from what i've experienced in my lifetime yeah i i'd like i'd really like to think so that that i do um the the hard part about it that that i have to acknowledge is that my family end up having to share me and share a lot of me. So like there's, there's a lot of times where we are doing things and then I just have to go. And, you know, Karina's got to, to carry on with the kids and then I catch back up with them, hopefully before bed, sometimes not. But um, yeah, I, they do, they, they sacrifice a lot. I sacrifice a lot of my person. Yeah they sacrifice a lot in sharing me with everybody else. So it's real teamwork, but really it's no different to any other caring profession like EMTs or doctors or anybody who works on call. It's not really that different in terms of sharing your life. Like a, a medic or a doctor or a first responder, the whole family share. It's a family thing, yeah. really. Yeah. Same with nurses. You know, yeah, Karina's the same. When she started out being um, an LMC, that was a big share. You know, I was working on call as well. Karina was on call. We were. What what do you do, Karina? Yeah, we. I'm a midwife. Oh well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I didn't hear. I didn't hear what you said. Yeah. So there you go. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> and and yeah. the families do. You, but you work around it, and that's what it's about. You guys have just started your own funeral business up in Walkworth. Yes. Just four days ago. Yes. So that's pretty exciting for you. Um, well, I started working at it four days ago, but 
We're still waiting for the council to supply code of compliance for the building. Still waiting for like furniture, soft furnishings, and a lot of my key embalming equipment is stuck in the states. Oh wow! So still, still waiting on some things, but essentially we are, um, yeah, rolling down the runway at the moment. That's awesome. And do you have a, a business website that? And 25% of my audience is here in New Zealand. Yes, yes, we do. Um, so our our first adverts are, are due to drop on the end of the month. And so the website will be coming live at the end of the month at um, besoul.co.nz, B-E-S-O-U-L. Besoul. Yeah. That's really lovely. So is that the name of your business, Be Soul? Yes. Uh, yep. So that's the website is besoul.co.nz. And then I guess how we answer the phone and what the sign says is um, Be Soul Funerals. But uh, we have a, a very unique building that, um, that's been provided to us. And you know, the aim of the building was to be different and modern and, and community sort of minded. When we found the name, Karina and I, we um, sort of felt like that sort of hopefully tries to leave the scariness mm-hmm. of a funeral home to the side that it can be something very special. It doesn't have to be uh, a scary place. So we've tried to lean towards everything being welcoming, warm, colorful, energetic, instead of black, somber and scary that's awesome and i think i've noticed over the years that there's that there's a real drift away from that to more of a celebration of the person's life yeah yeah you notice that like in the in the newspaper notices there's a lot of comments saying um like our service or the service but then there is um a service celebrating the life or yeah, a celebration of life service that's become quite a, a common way of referring to it, a, a lot more comfortable mm. and a softer way of not having to say the word funeral. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yes, but also I, I tend to feel celebrations of life are, are not as down as as funerals traditionally as, are they're more about that's right. what this person brought into our lives and how they made us feel and how yeah. much we learned from them and how much we loved them it's a really healing thing rather than a yeah. funeral which is really sad and i'm thinking traditional religious funerals yeah uh, yeah um, and and try as well we tried to step away from a lot of the traditional language and and thus far the the um the traditional um things that become boring and intimidating right and um seeing the the recent trend sort of coming down the pipe that um a lot of people's request was just to be cremated and then nothing yeah working in that and and seeing that you, there's there's a lot of people that are missing out on you know just a gathering or just a a uh, a contribution of emotion to of support to somebody who might be needing it mm-hmm. and with this 
COVID thing, you know, when people were making the choice to have that as an option, there's a sense of control. And then when the COVID thing came around and a lot of people still were passing away during that, not of COVID thankfully here, but um, there is now a push that you didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. You were, you were given that as your only choice and hoping that the experiences that people had during that time um, sort of come out that that wasn't very good for them and that we, we do we do sort of start working back to having gatherings, right. um, funerals, celebrations, all, all and the above, you know, from 10 people, you know, to 500 people. It doesn't always have to be large. Right. I know that it's really important for people. We had like a a death just this past week and I kind of only knew her on the periphery. It's my brother-in-law's auntie, but I've known him since I was 13. And she was a lovely old lady, but she, all she wanted was just to have her immediate family and no service. And while I understand that for her, I kind of feel like, those of us on the periphery miss out on being able to say goodbye and, and support them, and and yeah. and that's yeah, that's exactly what I see from from the back of the room, and you know that's what we hear when when we you know go out and and somebody runs mm-hmm. into us and they they hear that somebody had passed and oh when when's the funeral and it's like. It, there wasn't one. It was it was private. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, you know, and and yeah, that feeling of just missing out of them getting to give support. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one more question, which is, mm-hmm. you you of course would be up with all the latest funeral trends and everything. Mm-hmm. Is there is there the possibility of coming to New Zealand like they have overseas eco burials? You know where they just go back to the old fashioned wrap you in a, a in a blanket and put you in the ground and plant a tree on top of you. Yeah, yeah. So there there are a few. I want to say few, maybe five, three to five certified places in New Zealand. Um, I know for Auckland we've got a section at Y Committee Cemetery that is set aside like that. I think there's one uh, down maybe Wellington. Um, there, there's just a few. They do exist. The popularity of them, I haven't had anybody request that service personally. One of the things that our funeral home is, is looking to explore is exactly what you're saying is... Um, Uh, finding somebody that would like to work with us that might have a a little parcel of land amongst a large block that we can send back to, you know, normal bush sort of growth and use GPS marking and have minimal restrictions or um, as to what is allowed to come in, how deep and, and everything to be as natural as possible. I think there's a drive totally to the carbon emission sort of drive. With with that, the government is currently reviewing the funeral rules of New Zealand and the guidelines. And I think they're open to submissions until the 31st of October. And then they're going to um, try to modernize what 
the rules are going to be. So even with cremation, there are some more up-and-coming technologies that are less um, uh, harmful to the environment, um, with even zero carbon emissions. So it'll be interesting if um, if the if they allow those to become legal and find a way for the the councils to accept them. So there's some quite interesting things coming up by the sense of it. yeah. And 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 yeah. that's not a bad thing because we need to protect what we have. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. So, look, thank you so much for your time, Dean and Karina. It's just been—I've really enjoyed this chat. It's been a really interesting conversation, and uh, I'm sure that it will have answered a, a number of questions for that some of my viewers have about about how uh, undertakers see things. <laughs> perhaps good yeah it's been a pleasure to to talk with you as well it's been a it's been very nice thanks for thanks yeah, for having it's us been thanks I've had a lot to do with undertakers over the years, both in a personal capacity with death of friends and loved ones and in a professional capacity as a nurse, especially when I worked in private hospitals at stages in my nursing career. I've always admired them. It's not a pleasant job dealing with the physical remains and the work that needs to be done for them, all with the grieving family and friends. It takes a special type of person, I reckon. And I really appreciate that Dean goes out of his way to demystify his profession and to make things so much easier for those he works with. I am so grateful to Karina for being the catalyst in making this episode possible. I really enjoyed my chat with both of these people. If you enjoyed this episode, and actually, if you enjoyed this podcast overall, then please consider becoming a patron of the show. It does cost to produce and host this show and do the social media for it. So my patrons that I currently have who do help the show financially are greatly appreciated. I don't make any profit from this podcast. It's not about making profit. But help with the running costs is really awesome and greatly appreciated. So for only $5 a month, plus any applicable taxes wherever you live, about the cost of a cup of coffee, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. There's a link on this episode's page in our podcast website. As a patron, you get access to a special members only page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, from which you can download full transcripts of each episode. You also have access to some interview bits that may not make the episodes for whatever reason and little extras as I have time to create and add them for you. Also, you have my absolute gratitude and appreciation. So, what are you waiting for? Go to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now.
Today's bumper music is called Departure from Alice in Winter and is available from Soundstripe Music Licensing, my favourite music licensing site and the one I've used for all this season's episodes. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes then please don't hesitate to contact me or if any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience, or if you feel you might be a good fit as a guest on my podcast, or know of somebody who would be, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com, or check out the Be A Guest page on the podcast website. Check out our Facebook page, Walk in the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, then please... Leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and iHeartRadio as well. It also now should be on Amazon. If you have Alexa, Simply say these four words, open Walk in the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 